Let me ask this question to begin. Um, who in your life has had the most profound influence such that it changed you permanently for the better? Let me ask that question again. I'm, and I'm asking you to participate with me. Go, go along with the flow, if you will. Who in your life has had the most profound influence such that it changed you permanently for the better? Now, I would hope that all of us would place Jesus who know him would place Jesus at the top of that list. But what I'm asking us to do this morning is to think of a person in the flesh besides Jesus, who is God, uh, who came in the flesh, but someone other than Jesus who has had the most profound influence such that it changed you permanently for the better. While you're thinking about names and different people that have crossed your path, um, and how you would answer that question. Let me say, let me say just how much on a personal uh, level that I enjoy fixing things. That's just me. I, I like to fix things. I, I like to make things better uh, than I found them. And I think my wife would tell you that over the course of our marriage, that I've been pretty consistent in having that kind of passion. This is just me now, and this isn't suggesting you need to be like this at all. I'm just starting the message with a way for you to relate to some things. But if I can help someone that's in a hard place, I like doing that. If I can help explain something I know a little bit about to someone who's trying to learn about something, I enjoy that. If I can make something work again that stopped working, I enjoy doing that. Uh, if I can make something last just a little bit longer uh, than what it seems like it was going to last, I, I like doing that. If I can make something look a little better than it does right now or did in the first place, I'm liable to polish something up and put a little paint and a little dab of something here and there and try to sharpen it up. Uh, if I can bring someone a little bit of encouragement if they've been in a hard time or a hard place, I like doing that. And if doing all those things and more, if I can save a little money while I fix something myself, I like that too. Anybody like that? I, I like it when that happens. I get a lot of satisfaction out of fixing things, improving things, helping things. And if I can save some money at the same time, that's nice. And that's one of the reasons that I love this new technology that we're dealing with today. It's not brand new, but it's new for a lot of us. But this technology for me... Uh, that comes from YouTube DIY. YouTube DIY. YouTube do it yourself. I love that technology. And, and I can't tell you how many times it has helped me do one of my favorite things. And that is fix something myself with my own hands and my own ability, so to speak, with some guidance. And so, on the internet, if a person is patient enough to sort out the hundreds of videos that are literally designed to teach a person how to fix something or do something, you can not only hear the words of how to do something or how to fix something, but they, they usually have it videoed so that you can watch it happen right in front of your eyes. And there's, there's a lot that I can follow if somebody will just show me the way. Amen? You know what I'm talking about? Just show me how to do that. I think I could fix that if somebody would just tell me, walk me through it, show me. 
And I've saved a lot of house calls to, uh, to the house over the years by learning from people who have something we call a gift of, of mentoring. Say mentoring. Mentoring. People who have the gift of mentoring. And some have it more than others. And you can tell if you get on the internet and you can pull some of these up and some are kind of dry and boring and they leave parts out that I'd like to know more about. But some get it just right. I mean, they start, start to finish and they've got it videoed and they talk about it. And I get halfway through and I'm thinking, yeah, but you haven't told me. But oh, he just answered that. That's what I was waiting for. How do I get this part out? How do I get it loose without breaking it? How do I, whatever. I love it when that happens, when people mentor me. So our passage today in Philippians chapter 2 has to do with the significance of mentoring and its potential impact in the ministry of the church. Mentoring and its potential impact in the ministry of the church. So let's get just a a very simple working definition of what it means to be a mentor. A mentor is a person who serves as a trusted counselor or teacher to another person. That's a very simple working definition. Someone who's trusted and who serves as a counselor or a teacher uh, to another person. And so with that thought in mind, this, uh, this business about people helping other people, let's read the passage together. I mean, I'll read it, but you together in the sense you follow along. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 24, six verses. Now, this is Paul speaking. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you. Who's you? The Philippian church. Philippians. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to the Philippian church shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit. Now that's powerful. No one else. Paul says, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his, Timothy's, proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. And so that's the passage we're going to look at this morning. Let's remember, just by way of uh, our study, and some of you are new and some of you have not been a part of the study. And so for those of you who are here nearly every Sunday, God bless you. Uh, thank you for allowing me to be a bit redundant, but it helps people to capture where we are. Let's remember that Paul is nearing the end of his life cycle, his not only his physical life, but also obviously his ministry by this time that he's writing this. And he has most recently been uh, imprisoned. It's not so much the really bad uh, ugly dungeon prison this time, but he's kind of locked with a guard in a house and he, people can kind of come and go and visit him, but he's still chained to a guard and he's not allowed to leave the house until he makes his appearance before Caesar. 
uh, about charges that have been uh, uh, levied against him. And Caesar has the ability to do one of three things, it seems to me. He can either hear his case and then let him go, or he can continue his incarceration at some level, or he can take his head off and take his life. The Caesar has the ability to do any one of those three. And so while he's waiting for his appeal to come up, his court case, so to speak, to come up, he's writing these letters. And he chooses to write a letter back to one of his favorite churches that's in the city of Philippi. It's about 600 miles from where he is in prison. In this section of his letter, he's introducing us to a new figure. He's introducing us to a young man whose name is Timothy. I don't know, something about that name I really like. But, but, that, but, but he's, he's telling us about Timothy, who he, plan, he plans to send Timothy back to Philippi for a report. They met. Where did they meet? Well, they originally met on one of Paul's visits to a city called Lystra, and we're going to show you that on the map just so you can place that. You see it says at the bottom of the map, Paul's first missionary journey. And he leaves from Antioch. He goes to Cyprus, the island of Cyprus, and then he heads up to what we would call today modern-day Turkey. And so if you'll look just to the, to the right of Perga, you'll see the city Lystra. And so that's where Paul runs into Timothy. Now, why is that an important city? Well, the next map tells us that, because that's Timothy's birthplace. That's where Timothy was born, in modern-day Turkey, in the city called Lystra. And we know from Paul's letter to Timothy something about his background. So we're talking about Paul and his letter to Philippi, but we're first of all talking about Timothy that he's introducing us to. So we need to understand something of the significance of why Paul wants to speak about him. So let's take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll read a few verses starting at verse 13, where it tells us a little bit about Timothy's background. So Paul says to Timothy, evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, may I just stop there for a second and say, are we not in fact living in those days as well today? Are we not seeing evil men uh, being deceived and deceiving others? Uh, we're seeing that all the time in this world today. So this is a this is a manifold truth that Paul is speaking about how the devil works in this world until Jesus comes. Verse 14. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Well, of whom did he learn these principles that he's convinced of? Well, he learned them from Paul. But he also learned them from his mother. We're going to see that in a second. And he probably learned some of it from his grandmother. And he says, and that from childhood, this is before he met Paul. Paul Paul taught him a lot of things. But even before he met Paul and was introduced to Jesus Christ, he was learning things of value, Paul says. From childhood, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, friends, let me pause right. This is a whole sermon in and of itself, but I don't have time for. But those folks who think that the Old Testament is out of touch, out of date, and not relevant, 
have missed this teaching from Paul. Paul is saying that these truths that we learn from studying the Old Testament sacred scriptures lead us to wisdom. They lead us to salvation and lead us ultimately to Jesus Christ. Isn't that, that's powerful to me. So when you're reading through Numbers and you're reading through Leviticus and you're reading through all these scriptures that you're thinking, how many more before I get done with this one? Just remember what Paul said here. He said, it's for yours and my benefit. It's for our edification. I'm going to list the four things that it does at least as we study it. And then he goes on to say something really important. That we don't really, in our culture today, we don't like this, some of us. Not here so much in our church, but in the world today. We don't, we don't like everything the Bible says about certain subjects anymore, if we ever did. But he said, you need to like it because all scripture, how much of it? All All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that the man of God, we could say the woman of God, may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So this tells us that Timothy was well-versed in the Old Testament writings. And it also tells us why we need to study the Old Testament. Number one, in verse 15, all of these are from verse 15. It gives us wisdom. The Old Testament gives us wisdom. The Old Testament leads us to salvation. Studying the Old Testament leads us to salvation. Studying the Old Testament scriptures nurtures our faith. Nurtures our faith. And number four, it leads us to Jesus, who's the Savior. You say, the Old Testament leads us to Jesus? Yes, almost every page of the Old Testament will point us in one way or another to the coming Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you've never read the Old Testament all the way through, you need to do that. and You'll see that this is true. Now, Acts chapter 16 tells us about Timothy's parents. Now, I'm going to be coming back to Philippians in just a moment. But Acts 16 tells us about the kind of parenting that Timothy had. Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. Listen to what he says. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. Remember, he saw it on the map. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. Wow, that's awesome. We, we, we have a Jewish person background right here in my presence, because I saw her, who is a believer in Jesus Christ. That's what this woman was. That was Timothy's mother. He was the son of a Jewish woman who was doing what? Teaching him the sacred writings that they had at that time. They didn't have the New Testament, but they had the Old Testament writings. Son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well-spoken, Timothy, not his father. Timothy was well-spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. That's by other people who were saved and loved Jesus. Paul wanted this man to go with him. Which man? Timothy. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. And so... 
So we, we believe that his father was likely not saved. We don't know for sure, but it appears that he wasn't because he didn't have him circumcised. And if he, if he was a proselyte to the Jewish faith, he would have done that. He would have, his, his wife was probably saying all the time, honey, we need to get Timothy circumcised. This is what you do. And he wasn't circumcised. Paul actually circumcised Timothy. So, so Timothy's mother, in other passages we know, were given the names, but Timothy's mother Eunice was a Jew who came to Christ. Timothy's grandmother, Lois, also became a Christian, but his father was a Greek. So Timothy was schooled in Jewish scriptures by his mother, probably his grandmother helped when she, you know, when she was able. And he was also exposed to Greek culture and Greek education and what goes on in the whole Greek mindset through his father. So he had the Jewish who eventually came to Christ and that influence, and then his father who was a Greek showing him probably pagan and secular approaches to living life and trying to make make a success of himself in the world. So Timothy, schooled in Jewish scriptures by his mother and familiar with Greek culture by his father, and considering that Paul's major ministry was to what group of people? Jews or, or Gentiles? Gentiles. Paul's major ministry was primarily to Gentiles. So Timothy, Timothy was a perfect, a perfect choice. And is it any wonder why Paul said, I want to take you with me? I'm going to be dealing with Gentiles. You understand Gentiles because your father's a Gentile. But you also understand the heritage of where, that, uh, that Jesus is coming. And you also have a mother and a grandmother who understand the truth about who Jesus is. So let's quickly look at our passage verse by verse for just a few moments, if I may. Verse 19. But he says, but I hope, and you may notice I've, I've bold typed. It's not that way in, the, in, in your scriptures, but I bold typed this myself so that we could draw attention to certain phrases. But I hope, Paul says, in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. That phrase, I hope in the Lord Jesus, is another way of saying this. What else, what else, how else could we describe what that means? I hope in the Lord Jesus. It's another way of saying that everything about Paul's desires and the intent of his heart is to be centered in the will of his master and Lord Jesus Christ. It's another way of saying everything about me, all of my thoughts, all of my activities, all of the things that I would speak, they are all in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's wrapped up into that. And so here's a question for us today, a question for myself. Is that my prayer at the start of each new day? When you got up this morning, was it your heart's desire to say, Jesus, you're my master. You are my, not only my savior, but you're my Lord. And I, it's my heart, whether I can pull it off or not, and I can do better with your help, whether I pull it off or not, I want you to know at the start of this day, I want everything I say, do, and think to be appropriate in the center of your perfect will for my life. 
That's really what he's saying there. And when we go to bed at night, is it, is it part of our evaluation to make at the end of the day when we lay our head on the pillow, whether we speak it or just at least think about it, as to whether we've directed our focus and energy in some way this day that I've just experienced to walk in the center of Christ's will for my life and my family. So in other words, was it did I start out to want to do that? And at the end of the day, how well did I do walking in the center of Jesus' pleasure for my life as opposed to my own? Because you see, self seems to have been placed on the back burner in Paul's life. But it's not always on the back burner in my life. Can I get an amen on that? Is that not true for us? That some days when we experience our, our lives, that self is not as far on the back burner as it seems to be in Paul's life. And that's why we talk about him, and that's why we study him. Because somehow, he's, he's devoted himself at a level that is challenging to my spirit, and perhaps yours as well. Living in the awareness that Christ has a specific yearning for our activities and our thoughts seems to have captured his passion completely. And the question is, has it captured mine? Has it captured yours? That every thought is taken captive. Every deed is taken captive. Every day that I live. And it's not so always. And it gives me pause as I begin each new day. Hopefully, more and more absent of self. More and more absent of self. And then he says, in sending Timothy, that he has an expectation that he'll be encouraged in what Timothy finds going on at the church at Philippi when he brings the report back. I mean, we already, we already read this, that Paul knows and expects, and we're experiencing it right now, that there are evil imposters and self-deluded people that are invading the ranks of Christendom and the kingdom and the church of Jesus Christ. Paul already said, expect that to happen to every one of the churches. Expect that it will continue until Jesus comes. So he's already said there's going to be trouble waiting for you, Philippi, if you're not wise, if you're not discerning, if you're not being careful. But he's anti- listen what he's anticipating, though. He's not anticipating that they're going to get an F. He's anticipating that they're going to at least get a C or above. Maybe a B, maybe a B plus, maybe an A minus. I don't know, but he says, I, I'm expecting a good report that, that they won't fall prey to the assault of the devil upon the church through evil men. Here, here's a thought. You think about this, if you will. There's something special that happens in our lives when people we admire believe in us. That's special. It's special when there's, some, there's a teacher that you have at the high school or a professor that you have over at the university or a layperson in the life of the church that you attend that is always gracious and kind, has always got a, help, a helping hand and a kind word for you and has said, I've prayed for you. And I, you know, somebody that took the time to, to remember our name coming through the door and how special that was. Or, or a Sunday school teacher or a small group leader that says, I believe in you. You know, I don't think you've reached all of your full potential yet. I see things in you that maybe you don't even see in yourself. You say, yeah, but I'm over 70 years of age. So what? So what? Anytime somebody believes in us, 
more than we even believe in ourselves, it does something to us. And I, that's what I see Paul saying to the Philippian church. Look, I believe in you guys. And that's what I hear Jesus saying. If you, if you missed last Sunday, you need to get the DVD because I talked about taking the land. It's so important that the church remember its main business of taking the land. Just like the 12 spies were to go out and come back and bring a report. And 10 of them said, not doing that. That's too scary out there. But two of them said, we can do this with God's help. And our job is to take the land. And we need to be positive, not negative, about the possibilities with God's help through our ministry and through our church. And so what I hear Jesus saying to us today through this passage is, Lakeview, I believe in you. I do not believe that you are going to fall prey to evil imposters or evil men or whatever influences. I do not believe that you are going to go down like other churches have, but I believe that you have within you possibilities that you haven't even seen yet. Can I get an amen? That's what I hear from him right now. Okay, so uh, let's move on to verse 20. For I have no one else of kindred spirit. This, oh, boy, this is a good one. This is really good. I have, Paul says, I don't have anybody else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Who's he talking about here? Timothy. He said, I don't have anybody else. I've only got one. Now, you've got to keep in mind. There were likely, at that time, while Paul is imprisoned, there are Christians all over Rome by this time. There are brothers and sisters, quote, in Christ who are out there preaching and speaking things about Jesus or whatever. But he says, I I don't have anyone else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, Philippi. It's Timothy who is considered kindred spirit. Say it with me. Kindred spirit. One more time. Kindred spirit. The Greek word there is isosukos. Isosukos. What it literally means is equal soul. I don't have anyone else who is equal soul with me in the ministry except for Timothy. He said, Timothy and I are like one heart beating together. And that's why, let me just say this, that's why a believer should never join themselves in marriage to an unbeliever. That's a real problem for some of us parents. It's a real problem when our our kids, quote, fall in love with someone and then find out they really don't know Jesus, but they want to get married. They proposed. Why is this a problem? Well, You should never join yourself in marriage to an unbeliever because, here's the problem, the unbeliever does not share a kindred spirit, equal soul, one heartbeat. They can't because they don't know Christ. they're They're not in love with the master like you are. They're not devoted to the master like you are. And 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 you're and the unequal yoking of that creates nothing but a future potential problem. Now, I didn't say love wasn't there. I never said that a person can't love an unsaved person and and think that maybe you're supposed to marry them. I never said that. Love may be there for one another. 
But the equal soul part is missing. The equal soul part is missing. And so I just, you know, as I studied that and I thought about that more deeply and I thought to myself, just in a personal way, uh, I'm so thankful in my own life, in my own marriage, that we are equal souled, equal S-O-U-L-E-D, equal souled when it comes to Jesus Christ. It means everything. It means everything to be equal souled of kindred spirit when it comes to Jesus. Now, there were people preaching in Rome, as I said, while Paul was awaiting his audience with Caesar. They may have been preaching good things, per se, uh, but they were not sold out to living their personal lives absent of self. Now, I I hope that you will hear me and that I'm not somehow uh, trying to come across as self-righteous or that somehow I've got it all figured out or I've got it all worked out. But let me just say this. This is is from from Paul's, the spirit of Paul's teaching here. Sometimes, apparently, Paul is saying the world's goods, the world's pleasures may have marginalized some of these preachers in their personal testimony in Paul's eyes. And I, I just have to say that sometimes when I am watching what you watch once in a while, whether it's on a television preacher or a radio uh, teacher preacher or the, the, the next bestseller book that we see on the, on the, the shelves, and sometimes I, I just have to say that some of them are tremendous, but some of them I have the feeling that they are preaching themselves as much as they're preaching Jesus. They're preaching themselves. Their persona, their personality, their charisma, uh, their goals and objectives, the things that they... And, and you start doing a little bit of research and a little, a little checking and you find, out, you find out where they live scares you. And what they drive scares you. And it makes you wonder and ponder, and it's just, and it, and it's a little scary. And Paul said, you know, some of these preachers in Rome, I, I don't know. He said, uh, but not Timothy. He was in the same place that Paul was, equally sold, one heart, one mind. In this case, to be absolutely concerned about the spiritual welfare of the church. Here's this as as your pastor. Here's what I look for in the people of the congregation. As much as I love to see masses and critical mass grow, as much as I love that, and as much as I love uh, being able to tell people how they can meet Jesus Christ, it hardly gets any better than that. But what I'm looking for as a result of this kind of teaching, because I believe that's what Jesus is looking for, is for people who are as concerned, not in a negative way, but in a positive and hopeful way, as concerned about the spiritual welfare of the local church as Paul was, or as I am. At least get it as high as I mine is. Take it further if you can, and I'll learn from you. But at least go after that. Is your concern for the health and well-being of this church as concerned as Jesus wants you to be. That's a powerful truth right there. All right, verse 22. But you know 
of his proven worth, Timothy's proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving the Father. Now what Paul says there is that Timothy, he says Timothy by this time was seasoned as a result of the time that he spent with Paul. He's seasoned. He, he's, because he started early in the Old Testament scriptures with his mother and grandmother. And then Paul comes along and, 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 and he just takes it on up to another level. This is not a rookie novice we're talking about here now. When they first met, you may not have thought about this, but when they first met, it was probably around 50 A.D. 50 A.D. on the timeline. Some believe that Paul was likely to be around 48 years of age, and Timothy was perhaps around 33 years of age. So there's a few years difference. One, the teacher, the other, the student. His value, Paul said, was already recognized because the brothers in Christ in the church recommended Timothy to Paul to take with him on the next leg of his journey. And Timothy was willing to sacrifice himself for the cause. That's the one thing we see in each of Jesus' disciples, which was a willingness to sacrifice themselves for the cause. We, Jesus is the master mentor. And the one thing, there's several things that we see, but one thing stands out, that each one of these men, at the end of the day, which is kind of an overused phrase, but at the end of their life, whenever that happened, were willing to sacrifice it all. Their willingness to sacrifice themselves for the cause. And to do that means we see ourselves as servants of Christ. And that's what Timothy was doing. He was saying, I see myself as a servant of Christ. And he says that Timothy serves Paul and ultimately Christ. He says, like a son serves his father as he's growing up. What a word picture there. How a son serves his father as he's growing up. What's he doing? He's, if he's got a decent father, you know, not everybody's had a decent father, and I know that, but for those of us that have had a decent father, you're learning from your father's wisdom. You're learning from your father's experience. You're learning from your father's expertise. And what Timothy is modeling for us here is what it looks like to be a disciple. Timothy is what a disciple looks like. He's a learner. He's a servant. One who's constantly seeking to get things down pat so that there are no foolish mistakes and that the end product is beautiful and pleasing to the teacher. Verse 23. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. The Greek word, therefore, immediately means at once, which is, it's, that's, that's being remarkably available. You know, Sometimes we'll have, we'll, we'll put out a plea for help with something in the life of the church. I'm talking about any church. We're talking about this church too. And we call for help in the life of the church. And all of a sudden you hear, you hear things like, uh, well, you know, that, well, I wish you'd have told me six months ago so I could work that into my schedule. But my schedule, you know, but I got my schedule here and I've got to do this and I got to be here. And, and, and it, oh, that's that weekend that we're going to the picnic in the lake. And, uh, and, uh, and Timothy says, no, I'm ready at a moment's notice. 
Now, we all have plans, and we're not saying that we just disrupt reasonable kinds of things and the more advanced notice that we can have about things. But basically, Timothy, as a disciple, as a learner, as a servant who's sold out, he says, look, I'm ready at a moment's notice to step up to the need. You want me to go to Philippi? I'm out of here. Just tell me when. Just tell me when. And then verse 24, to bring it closure, and I trust in the Lord, Paul says, that I myself also will be coming shortly. So right there is a little bit of a clue as to what Paul thought was going to happen. He's in prison, okay? But he's expecting to win in this uh, appeal to Caesar. And he does, and he does get released. But that's exactly what he thinks. He says to the Philippians, he said, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get to see at least one more time. That's what he's saying there. That's pretty cool. Now let me summarize. Joshua had Moses. Elisha had Elijah. Timothy had Paul. Paul had Barnabas, the encourager. And 12 guys had Jesus. And they changed the world. Someone has said, and you think about this for yourself, because it's talking about devotion and commitment here, really. We all live in one of two places in Philippians. We all, all of us, which one do you live in? Which, which one do you live in? Philippians 1.21, which we already studied, and it says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Are you living there? That's where Timothy was. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or am I living in Philippians 2.21? For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. That's self. So the theme of this passage is the significance of being sold out. It's the significance of being available. But most importantly, how mentoring and its potential impact in the ministry of the church has been forgotten by many. So look at the value of the kingdom of God that came from the mentoring that Paul did with Timothy. Think about it. Think about the power that came from Jesus' mentoring of the twelve, of the mentoring uh, processes going on through the Old Testament and even into the New. So let me ask you these questions as I close. Who are you mentoring on purpose? See, me? I'm 80 years old. Well, then you know a lot. You know a lot. Who are you mentoring on purpose? Who has the Holy Spirit identified to you that has the potential to be equal souled with you in spiritual things? One heart, one mind. Has, God, has the Holy Spirit already drawn your attention to someone? Maybe in the life of this church? Maybe in... Maybe some other brother or sister in Christ in the community that you know or whatever, but you're like-minded. Spiritually, you're not unequally yoked. You, you, are, you are kindred spirit. And the Lord has said, you need to pour yourself into this person. Because this person is all ears. This person, listen, I, <laughs> I've lived long enough and I've had enough ex- exposure to lots of different lay people in churches all over the country. And I've, I've been blessed to have many, many multiple staff. 
And, and, I, I, and, I've, and I've worked with many, many board members and church leaders and Sunday school teachers and small group leaders or whatever. And I can tell you that not all of them were kindred spirit. They all loved Jesus. They all said good things. But they weren't all kindred spirit. But I will tell you, the ones that are kindred spirit with you, that's spatial. That's special when that happens. And so who has God already identified? Or, or who, who have, have you asked God for someone like that while you still have breath and opportunity? Have you asked God for someone like that? So, Jared, where's Jared? Come up. I got a little competition in the room today, but come on up. Now, this is Jared Webb. You've already, you've already, he has no idea I'm doing this, but this is Jared Webb. And Jared has been around here for a good while. How how long have you been coming here? 2015, so three years. Almost three years now. So he's been around. Some of you haven't met him yet, but you see him. You can see him coming and going, that sort of thing. But but Jared uh, came as just as a, a volunteer, and he got involved in our programming. And then he became uh, an intern here in the life of the church. And uh, we're we're really thrilled. He's he's at that level right this moment. But guess what? Through through the church board's affirmation, our recommendation as a staff, and your vote of the budget that happened last week. We are uh, in an exciting adventure with Jared because he is a part of a program called the Kern Program at Indiana Wesley University that allows him to get his master's degree, he's working in ministry, uh, in, a, in a little quicker time as he is involved in the life, the laboratory of a great church experience. And so effective June the 1st, his status changes from paid part-time intern to paid part-time assistant pastor at Lakeview. Huh? <laughs> and so we have, we have a young man named Christian Kelly. I don't know if he's... There's Christian. Stand up, Christian. Christian Kelly, we are, are hoping to bring on board as a what you are right now, a part-time paid intern devoted to worship and praise, which he feels God has put on his heart and his life. And we are allowing a laboratory experience for him to be able to be a part of, of this team. Isn't that exciting? Huh? Yeah. And, and she's not here now because you've seen her in the past, but a young lady by the name of Allie Fink uh, has been uh, Miss Kayla's intern for this last year. She's already left for the summer. She's teaching at a Christian camp right now, so she's not here. And she's a paid staff intern here in this laboratory of this tremendous ministry here at Lakeview. And there's a young man named Nate Campo. You see him up here. He's kind of the big bulky guy that you saw him in the videos. He's always making people laugh. He's working, he's working with the youth. Amen. Doesn't he? He works with the youth. Okay. And so we are hoping that this will work out for Nate Campo, who is in Christian ministries, working toward his degree. And you know what this is all called? This is all called mentoring. Mentoring. And oh, by the way, it's a good savings of money for the value for the dollar. <laughs> Amen. I mean, sorry about that. Sorry about that. But, 
It's a good value for the dollar. And all the stewardly people said, amen, yes, amen, amen. Now, this young man you're going to discover, uh, not just after June 1, but he's already working into this. He's already helped us with our membership affirmation process. Whether you enjoyed that or not, uh, he helped with that to try to get it done. And uh, he's helped us with our church conference. And he has helped us with our, uh, with our membership process, as you saw this morning. And he has been helping in the youth department with, with Jessica and the youth. And he is now teaching the young adult class so that Zach can lead a young marriage class and start a new young marriage class. This guy's busy. And he's also, you still got finals to do? Oh, I'm done now. You're uh, done. Well, okay, boy, we're going to pour the coal on now. I'm telling you. But, but okay, so you can go sit down. But let's give God praise and glory for mentoring. That we have an opportunity to pour into people's hearts and lives. Now, what are we going to, are we going to, do we have a system set up? Is there good accountability? Are we getting good value for the dollar? All that stuff has to happen. But listen, you've got to have a heart to want to do those things. And I'm so thankful for these men and women who are coming on board that God is leading us to, who I hope have a kindred spirit, one heart, equally sold, not S-O-L-D, but S-O-U, the soul dialed in to one another. You know, it doesn't take much to tear a person down, does it? Our job is to lift people up and to encourage them. And Paul was not about to let that Philippian church get torn down. And he said, look, I believe when Timothy comes, he's going to bring me an encouraging report and we're all going to be happy and glad. But it takes a lot to build one up. doesn't take much to tear down. takes a lot to mentor. takes a lot to pour in. takes a lot to build in. It takes a lot. So the question for this coming year, are you a builder in the church? Are you a builder in the church? Are you, are you one heart, one mind, kindred spirit to take the land the best we know how and to love one another and to be a builder in the life of the church? So I close this challenge as an encouragement to the body of Christ through this little poem. Listen. Isn't it wonderful to hear young life coming into the life of the church? It's great. This is the title. I'm going to speak loudly. This is the title. I watched them tearing a building down. If you drive by the hotel out here on 18, you see they're tearing the building down. Huh? You can watch it little by little. I watched them tearing a building down, a gang of men in a busy town. With a mighty heave and a lusty yell, they swung a beam and a sidewall fell. I asked the foreman, are these men as skilled as the men you'd hire if you had to build? He gave a laugh and said, oh no, indeed. A common laborer is all I need. And I can wreck in a day or two what builders have taken years to do. I thought to myself as I went my way, which of these roles have I tried to play? Am I a builder who works with care, building others by rule and square? Or am I a wrecker who walks the town content with the labor of tearing down? You know, we've got, we've got uh, the rule and the square that we're going to put against Jared's life. There's a rule and a square that we're going to put against Allie's life. There's a rule and a square that we're going to put against Nate's life. 
There's a rule and a square that we're going to put against Christian's life as they work in this laboratory alongside us and working together. And so I just want to ask you, to the best of your ability, and forget about your personality quirks, (laughs) building others by rule and square in a positive and loving manner. That's what I hear Paul saying to the church today. Let's build one another up and let's invest in mentoring. Let's invest in finding somebody that you can pour yourself into. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe your spouse has hit a slow spot. Maybe your spouse has hit a hit a, 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 a leveling off or, or a plateau. Maybe one of your children has done that. Maybe, maybe some person that you work with that was so vibrant and caused you to be encouraged in your journey with Christ and they've kind of cooled off and something's kind of gone amiss or haywire. Whatever it may be. You know, let's be builders. Let's be builders. Let's take the land. Let's do our best to be sold out like Timothy was sold out. Like a son is sold out to making his dad happy. Let's stand. How many would let's 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 bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment so there'd be less less uh, worrying about what somebody sees? Would you just do that for me for a moment? I wonder how many would slip their hand up right now and say, "I would like to have a mentor in my life if I could find the right one." Would you slip your hand up? And say, I'd, "I'd enjoy that." I would. God bless you. God bless you. There must be 15, 20 hands that went up. Okay, put your hands down. And I wonder how many would say, if you aren't already doing it, I felt God challenge me this morning to pour myself into somebody's life at a better level this morning. Would you slip your hand up? I feel God challenged me to do that. Slip your hand up. Come on. Come on. Come on. I I should be pouring myself into somebody's life more than I have. God bless you. God bless you. Now, friends, if you don't know Jesus Christ, oh my, you are missing what Bob was talking about, a tremendous lover of your soul. And you can meet Jesus this morning before you leave this place because we've got staff who are going to be out in the foyer and they'll be happy to meet with you after this service and say, I'd like to become a Christian. I'd like to know how to do that. And they'll help you with that. Father in heaven, as we close, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for the scriptures and truth. Thank you for new members. Thank you for new uh, uh, officers of the church. Thank you for one another. Thank you for Paul's example. Thank you for Timothy's example. And I pray, God, that you would lead us to people of equal soul that we can uh, pour ourselves into and that we can build up and not tear down in the life of the church of Jesus Christ. We love you. Give us safety this day. Bless us and keep us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.